0: Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. Keep in mind, this is the last of October, the last Wednesday night of October, the year 2011 is quickly passing away, November, December, three months, then Christmas. Two months, then Christmas. One month, then Christmas. Then it'll be 19, I mean 2012. The years are passing by quickly. Now, what we're going to do, we have to do quickly. The Lord Jesus is coming the second time. I don't know when, but He's coming. We're not the society of date setters, but the Lord is at hand. Last Sunday we studied from Revelation. From time to time we'd we'll be studying again from Revelation. Tonight, an interlude in the Mark chapter two. And the question tonight: What is our business? What is our business? Now listen to this. Again, he entered in Capernaum. After some days, it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. That's Jesus. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born afore. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit, that they so reasoned within themselves. He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easy to say to the sick of the policy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk? But that they may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the policy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way unto thine house and immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We never saw anything like this before. That's a remarkable thing. Now keep in mind, this man had been sick all his life. Probably had never walked. Nobody knew for sure why he was so sick. When Job got sick, he had some friends that came to him and said, we know why you're sick, you've sinned. You haven't asked God to forgive your sins. That wasn't true. Job, we're told in chapter one, was a man that hated evil, he eschewed evil. He loved righteousness. Matter of fact, the Bible calls him a perfect man, which means he was a mature man of God not dabbling in the sins of the world. But his friends don't understand that. A lot of people today think if you get sick, it's because you've sinned. If calamity comes through, it's because you've sinned. If you're having financial problems, it's because you've sinned. That may be true, but it's not always true. In this particular instance, it was for the glory of God. So here was Jesus Speaking or preaching in a house. Crowds were there. So many crowds that they couldn't even get to the door. And these four men had a friend. They'd heard about Jesus. They knew he was in town. They thought, if we can just get our friend to Jesus, everything will be all right. You ever tried that? If you can just get your friend to Jesus, everything will be all right. A lot of people resist Jesus when these four friends went to get the their friend we don't know whether he objected whether he said no don't bother I don't think he did I think they whispered in his ear Jesus is in town he can do something for you we're gonna take you to him I think he was glad he was like that blind man Bartimaeus who cried out, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tried to quiet him down, but he kept them more. Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord invited him and he received his sight. So these four men, they go get their friends and they bring him up to the house. They can't get in. They look in this door over here look all around the house. It's all jammed and packed. People look in the windows. They were so persistent and somehow they got up on top of the roof. Can you imagine what went on inside the roof? Inside that house, Jesus was here preaching. All of a sudden, somebody looks up and something happened to the roof. There's it's being pulled apart. They see some fingers and fingers pulling that roof apart. They look up and wonder what in the world's going on? What's happening here? And all of a sudden they see this thing coming down and they look, there's a man on a mat coming down right in front of Jesus. You're talking about whispering and talking. I imagine it was quite a jubilee that day. Now they, they were probably complaining. Here he is, Jesus is speaking. Here they are trying to interrupt him. Get that crowd out. Call the ushers. Get that man out. Somebody said that. Jesus didn't. They let the man down. And the Lord looked at him. He said, son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now the Lord knew everything. He knew there was sin in that man's life that's what caused the problem. We don't know that, except what Jesus said. But we know this, in every person's life, there's sin. Sin is a terrible monster. It eats away at you and drags you down, down, down to disgrace and shame and ultimately to hell. And you know some people don't even know they've got sin in their lives. They don't know anything about it. So what are we supposed to do? Just pamper them? So bless your the heart? You're okay. You're fine. All you need is a new drink. Maybe you need to, you need to take a vacation to go to Florida. You need to go to a psychiatrist. You need something. Just talk it over. It'll be all right. Or do we go to them with the word of God and say, I have a friend I have a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the Lily of the valley. What he's done for me, he can do for you. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Let me tell you about him. That's what those friends did. They brought him to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, what is our business as a church? Our, is our business just to keep up the building? This building needs repair. Obviously, we need a new carpet. We need the windows taken care of. We need a paint job. We need all kinds of things. If you've been following Mr. and Miss Kitchens, you know they've done a super, super, super job downstairs, fixing the floors, getting everything clean, fixing us the dinner on Wednesday night. This afternoon, I went by, I came to the church. And he was over a washing window. Remarkable. But let me ask you, is our main business keeping up the building? Is that what God's called us to do? Or to bring in the money? I believe in offerings. I heard a preacher on the radio the other day say the only time you can take up an offering is on Sunday morning you can't take up an offering any other time because 1 Corinthians 16:2 says on the first day of the week let everyone of you lay by him in store and God prosperity. I don't think it displeases the Lord for us to give an offering on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday morning Saturday afternoon anytime we can give let's give so when we come to church we need to give But is that the main reason? Is that what our business is? Is our business games and fellowships? I believe in fellowships. We have a Sunday School campaign and we're encouraging every class to have a fellowship so that people can get to know each other and have a good time together. What is our business? It's to bring people in. Hark, tis the master's call I hear out in the desert, dark and drear. Who'll go and bring my sheep in? Bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. So our main business is to bring people to Jesus. And that's what those four men, they brought that man to Jesus. Now I want to tell you four things about bringing people. First of all, bringing people in requires some risk takers. It's risky we had to be ready to take a risk people may laugh at us People may talk about us they may ridicule us one of the best compliments I ever had was told by a man to some of our young people the other day he said when I was a young person every time I crossed this Back street back here, somebody from Gunday will come out and say, Come to church. I guess you're aware, some of you have been here for a while. In the earlier years of our church, our people were inviting people all the time, knocking on doors. Some people even put a sign on there, don't don't knock here. Western University put out a paper. And they're in a special article about our swordsmen. our swordsmen, in those days went up to western talked with the president kelly thompson got a special room set aside they met ever there every thursday night and they go out and knock on doors all over western before they put in a, a law saying you couldn't knock on the doors can't even get in the dorms now but we, we did then And they ran an article saying, those people that are called swordsmen are knocking on all the doors, inviting people to Glendale. Our church name got in the paper. You know what happened? We had 60 to 100 students. Do you know how many students we have now? You put it together. It takes risk takers risk takers to go out and bring people in. If we're going to have a revival, we have to have some risk takers. Some people who would will be willing to go out and be willing to make, be made fun of. How many of you remember Mel Pole? Mel Pohl was a came here as an advertiser. This place over on the, by, on the bypass down the 11th and the bypass, I forgot what the name of it was, but he came there to work at that place and to push advertising. We got saved. He visited our church one Sunday, and in those days, and we ought to do it again, I got the visitor's cards after church, gave them to our deacons, and either before lunch or after lunch, they went back and knocked on doors and invited people who had been here that morning to come back. But well, that really impressed Mal Paul. So he came back. In those days, we'd gone to Canada and gotten those big gospel plaques. And we had anniversary Sunday. Gave everybody that came a beautiful gospel plaque. Had about 1,000 in the Sunday school. They got one of those gospel plaques. His wife put it up in the dining room. He said, later, every time I came to the to D, there was that plaque, be sure your sin will find you out. He said, one night, I couldn't take it any longer. I got down on my bedside, asked Jesus to forgive my sins, saved me, came to church the next Sunday, made a profession of faith. He quit his job. For a while, he was our coach here at Anchor, when the basketball players played under that little carport over there, and, uh, had practiced there certain days and anyway. He got another job, part-time job at a grocery store. He was so on fire for the Lord, he asked for some tracks. He put a gospel track in every sack of groceries. And the owner came to him and said, Mr. Moe, Mr. Paul, you're a good man and doing a good job. you have to quit that. He said, I'm not going to quit that. You can fire me, but I'm not going to quit it. They didn't fire him. He kept doing it. A lot of people came to church because of those tracks. They had the name of the church on them. He risked a job, if necessary, How much are we willing to risk? Let me hurry. Bringing people to Jesus is hard work, it requires hard work. You think of what those four men went through to bring that one man. When they got to the place where the house was, they couldn't get in. Can you imagine the attention they drew? I don't know where they got a ladder or how they got up on top of that roof climbed up on the roof with this man and opened the roof. It wasn't even their roof. It wasn't their house. They just did it because they knew he had, he had to get that man to Jesus. And they let the man down. He, they were the stock of everybody. But they got their man to Jesus. Hard work. We will have to strive. You know, the insurance people tell us in order to make a sales you have to visit a lot of people i heard the other day that in order to bring one person to jesus it takes at least 25 visits so if you go out and wait, make two or three visits or four or five visits nobody comes and you get a story and say well i tried and nobody came you didn't try enough the man that's pastor of the church where marcus went in california brother chapel i heard him say that his papal had during a certain time made 300 visits a day knocked on 300 doors a day seven six days three six or how many how many days is that how many is that? 1800 three times six is what 18 yeah 300 people doing that. And next Sunday, they had about 10 people saved. Maybe more. What I'm saying to you listen, if you really want to fill the auditorium up, let's not look back, let's look forward. It's hard work, it requires risk takers. Is there anybody here tonight that'll be a risk taker? That'll say, I'll do it for Jesus' sake. Bringing people to Jesus requires faithfulness. When Jesus saw their faith, he was moved. What was it about their faith? It wasn't their faith that saved this man. Nobody gets saved by somebody else's faith, but their faith brought the man to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith that it took to bring that man to Jesus, He knew there was something there that he must deal with. He immediately said to the man, Sir, thy sins be forgiven thee. Get up and walk. And he did. He was healed. You bring somebody to Jesus, get them to hear the word of God, they may go away a new man in Christ. I understand this, that David Livingston went out alone. His wife was very sick. He sent her back to England. She died. They urged him to come back to England. He said, no, my heart is in my work here. They didn't hear from him for a long, long time. Finally, they met a sent a man named Stanley, a newspaper reporter. He went to try to find David Livingston. It is said that when he was found, he was found on his knees, dead, praying. He left word with his, one of his friends, I think they want my body back in England But before they take my body, cut my heart out. Buried here, because my heart is in Africa. Where's your heart? Where's the heart of Glendale Baptist Church? Is our heart really after lost people again, like it has been in years before? Or are we content to come and sing little ditties and songs and have a good fellowship and stand around and talk to each other? then go out and not come back till next Sunday? Or do we take serious business of building a Sunday school, building a Sunday school class, getting at it, week after week after week? William Carey went to Burma. He stayed there 70 years. No furlough. His wife died, his son died. I had the privilege of visiting the very place where after seven years of no converts, he baptized his first convert. I felt like I was standing on holy ground. It was years and years later but there's where he baptized his first cousin, Ed Norm Judson. I don't know whether I said Judson or not. That was in Burma. William Carey went to India and stayed there. Anyway, last of all, to bring people to Jesus requires persistence don't give up. D.L. Moody was a young man. At 16 years old, his daddy had died when he was two or three. His mother had a hard time. They came and took all the furniture out of the house and they wanted to divide the children. She said, no, we'll all stay together. And when Moody was about 16, he decided to leave home, and go to Boston and get a job with his uncle in a shoe store. So he did that. His central teacher was Mr. Kimmel. His uncle had said, now, if you're going to come to work with me, you have to go to Sunday school. He Went to the Congregational Church. At that Sunday school, uh, Mr. Kimball would tell everybody to turn to Genesis. And Moody didn't know anything about the Bible. He'd look over here, try to find Genesis over here. Everybody would laugh at him. Finally, one day, he said, I'm not going back. So he didn't come to Sunday school. Mr. Kimball rather than like some of us, letting him stay out four or five Sundays. That very next week he said, I gotta go talk about Moody. He went down to the shoe store, scared to go in, walked up and down in front of the store two or three times, finally went in, went to the back of the store and told Moody about Jesus. Moody was 16 or 17 years old. It moved his heart that his son to a teacher would come and talk to him about Jesus. Moody asked Christ to come into his heart. He got changed for life. A few months later, he decided to go to Chicago. I'm going over there to make a million dollars. One of the Sunday school teachers had to retire because of illness and Moody and that teacher went out to all those people in that class, won them all to the Lord. Some years later, There was a great fire in Chicago, and Moody, the evangelist, decided to go to England. He went to England and preached there. There was great revivals all across England. A young man named F.B. Meyer heard D.L. Moody preach. He did something to his heart. Meyer had been a preacher for a long time. And he said, "I, I didn't have the fire that Moody had. I got alone, asked God to give me that same fire. And so F.B. Meyer got on fire for God, started preaching the word in an unusual way. He came back to America. He went down to New Orleans. A man that most of you know by name, some of you know in person. R.G. Lee was in New Orleans he had just come back from working on the Panama Canal he heard F.B. Meyer ignite a fire in his heart R.G. Lee said I'm gonna preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men they invited R.G. Lee to come up north He preached, and a man named Wilbur Chapman heard him. And Wilbur Chapman got on fire for God. He'd been going to the baseball games where a man named Billy Sunday had been playing baseball. And he invited Sunday to come and hear him preach. And Billy Sunday gave his heart to the Lord, his life to preaching the Word of God. He got on fire for God through the preaching of F.B. Meyer through the preacher of Wilbur Chapman and Billy Sunday was the great evangelist. They invited him down to Charlotte and he preached a great revival there. Many, many people were saved. Some years went by and the businessman said, Billy Sunday came here and preached and he's gone now. We need another citywide revival. So they called a man from Kentucky His name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham went down and preached a great revival in Charlotte. There was a blonde-headed young teenage boy that heard him. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham went down the aisle, gave his heart to Christ. I'm gonna tell you, you win somebody to Christ, you may be shaking three continents for the Lord. God can use Glendale Baptist Church to reach out at Western, to reach out at Anchored, to reach out in the other high schools, to reach out the adults, to reach all this area, and go get them and bring them in from the fields of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide us to do what those four men did. They went out and brought their friend to Jesus. Help us to do that. In the days leading up to revival, Lord, send a revival. Let it begin on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Let's sing that song, Lord, send a revival. Lord, send a revival. It's some tune. You know what the tune is. I forgot what it is. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, is that it? Yes, sir. Okay. We'll sing, Lord, send a revival. As we sing, do you know what God says to do. If God leads you to come to the altar and pray, do that. If God leads you to stand right where you are and settle the matter where you are and do what you need to do, do it. But everybody here, I wanna ask you, think carefully, what is your business? What is your main business? Is it really to reach people for Christ? Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. Let's sing that together, everyone together.